0: Welcome for this special edition of the Mindful News Podcast. And on today's episode, we speak with podcast host, mindfulness leader and mentor, Ted Meisner
1: there's an impression that, oh, if I become mindful, I'll just always be calm and happy and everything yeah. is great, and it's just butterflies and unicorn rainbows and all that, and that's not life. Stressors happen, and our ability to, uh, and, and this is uh, around the, the window of tolerance, that model of, are we in our window of tolerance? We're okay, we're in rest and recovery, or are we overwhelmed? And so in various groups like Gallup, did a survey and several other groups on what are some of the leading causes of burnout. And of the top five, and I think a Gallup survey within the past uh, two years, I think just a year ago as of this recording, all five of those conditions had nothing to do with us failing as people or a weakness of us. It had to do with conditions in the workplace. Mm. And that to me was very interesting. So in designing this course, it's not about How do we make you as the employee numb to the effects of burnout in your workplace? How do we give you the ability to check out and take a mental vacation throughout your day? It's not that. That's not mindfulness as I teach it. It's about turning towards what's here and that can be difficult. So we do work on how do you take care of yourself first? Let's be cautiously optimistic because there is good science that is there that does show some influence of mindfulness on how people are in lots of different kinds of settings. The reason I'm cautiously optimistic is research that may show it's not as effective. Usually what I notice about those studies is they didn't have an actual program. they just mm-hmm. had people randomly listening to meditation. So that's not quite what we do it's more complicated than that this is a discipline and unfortunately right now mindfulness is not respected as a discipline it's just a technique
0: ted has been hosting one of the most prolific and amazing podcasts on mindfulness and related topics for many years and he's had on the who's who to share their insights and wonderful stories so we turn the tables on ted and put him in the hot seat And we dig into his background in biology and his fondness of evolutionary theory, his incredible podcast called The Present Moment, with over 166 episodes, and his other secular Buddhism podcast. We talk about his path to becoming a mindfulness teacher, the benefits of mindfulness, and how would we describe it to Klingons or Vulcans if visited? What is burnout? What is mindfulness? And lastly, what matters most to Ted? We also have a fun debate about the enthusiasm of mindfulness versus the science. Has science caught up with the enthusiasm? Also visit mindfulnews.uk for all of our podcasts, powerful video clips on our growing library of free inspiring guided meditations, including this week's latest release called The Mental Push-Up. I'm your host, Guy, on our continuing mission to help as many people organically. For some reason, the mic was having issues with my first question, but we quickly get that fixed. So do me a favor and bear with that. And if you enjoy the conversation and benefit from it, share it with someone and pay it forward. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and to a fellow podcaster, a fellow mindfulness. What's the word for someone that appreciates it and that, you know, loves it and (laughs) lives by it? I don't know what the words, the fact that you've been hosting A podcast on mindfulness for for many many years, and in fact, a little a little bit of information, a fun fact. When we last spoke in 2014, right? So that that, that's going back a bit now. But 2014, there were you had 108 episodes, and now 166. I did a quick check. So sorry, 2018 rather, not 2014. was 2018. So there's a four year gap since our last interaction. For that first podcast, I'll put a link into the bio. You know, so I think that we really dug into your, your background and, you know, a little bit about you. So I think, and it was such a wonderful episode that, you know, I really encourage people. And as I put in the link to our first interaction when we first got together. So I would love to catch up and just find out, you know, where, where is Ted now after all these years? So I know your podcast has continued to grow successfully. And I know at that time you were extremely knowledgeable you know, about mindfulness, you were teaching it and you were podcasting it and had done so for many episodes. So my question is, in the last four years, how have things changed? You know, as a mindfulness teacher and speaking with these experts and luminaries, how has that influenced your podcasting style, you know, and and how how has that changed in, in, in the last four years? Why don't we start there?
1: Great question. Thank you. And again, so glad to be with you and to see how mindfulness has grown. Uh, It's just fantastic. I'm so happy for you in this transition we were talking about earlier with you. Yeah. How it's
0: full time uh, into mindfulness teaching and podcasting now, you
1: know, that corporate world is behind me. Nice work if you can get it. (laughs) (laughs) Particularly for people like us who this is something that is personally enriching of our lives, but being able to in some way, influence the well-being of others there's no at least for me there's no greater work i don't know it's something feel very similarly about absolutely yeah so there have been uh, quite a number of changes over the past few years and when we last spoke it was pre-covid right for example and i think at the time i may have still been working at umass medical school at the Mm -hmm. center for mindfulness so part of that trajectory let's uh focus on podcasting for a few moments they have two different podcasts. One is primarily focused on mindfulness. And a few years ago, I basically retired from podcasting, wasn't doing a lot of episodes. Really? And to my surprise, because it's, as you know, it's a labor of love, and it would take a full day to schedule the interview, have the interviews, uh, do the editing, all the rest of it. and I Well, editing alone for me
0: is, um, yeah,
1: a couple of days, yeah. I, I yeah, know. It, it, it takes a lot of time. And if it's you're still, also yeah. working a more than full-time job mm-hmm. and teaching, it's just that there's not enough room. And so I took a step back from that. We'll call it a mindful pause. Let's call it a mindful pause. And to my surprise, I, I took a look because there are one or two episodes that I would do for people that I really wanted to share their work or friends that I'd known for a long time and were, let's have the conversation and put that out there. But still, after no real activity for a couple of years, it's over 5,000 downloads every month still. Mm-hmm.
0: And in the archive of your podcast, right?
1: Yeah, but they're all still out there, and clearly there's interest in this. And podcasting, I think, has grown a bit in the age of COVID. Just a
0: wee bit. Just a wee bit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So what I've been very fortunate in doing is a decision I made a dozen years ago when I started podcasting with the Secular Buddhist Mm -hmm. was to have these as interview format so that I get to speak with wonderful people like you and others that have been guests over the years of over 400 uh, episodes all together. Yeah. And that's been wonderful. And that led to me taking the job, I think, when we last spoke at UMass Medical School at the Center for Mindfulness. I was their manager of online community and program development. Mm-hmm. And that was a wonderful place to be. My wife and I moved halfway across the country from Minnesota oh, really? to Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, we are still there now. We're staying here. Mm-hmm. And then there was a shift then as the center, as it was, as it had been as an international teacher training program leader in the field, closed their doors and some of their work transitioned over to another part of UMass, UMass Memorial Healthcare. And my old job in the corporate world called me back and, and asked if I would come back, which is a wonderful thing and well-timed and certainly needed yeah, because yeah. it was a surprise to Lose that job that we've moved for. And as you and I talked about last time, most of my work professionally has been in the corporate world. I'm an IT guy. And just a a couple of years before you and I spoke, I changed careers to teaching mindfulness. I started that within one of the largest companies in the world, in in the corporate sector, went to UMass for a few years and came back to teaching mindfulness. In that corporate sector, as we were joining with another group, another sub company of this very large company, and now that's becoming part of another group. <laughs> so I, I understand from what you shared about some of the transitions in your own life. Yep, going through those right, okay, right now, okay, yep, yep, and yep. ongoing. Okay. And what I find fascinating is there is such an appetite, we'll call it, for mindfulness, and that it has so many potential benefits, and so many opportunities for people in not just feeling better with existing stressors or depression or anxiety or whatever it is that they're going through, but also building some resiliency to those before they happen. And I'm just so very fortunate to be in a space where I can create programming that helps people in a context that is sometimes at least there are impressions and views about it, that it is very insensitive and it certainly can be. And where I am, I don't see that and have, have, had, have been asked to create programs in areas where it is, as, as you had described before we started the podcast interview, that are maybe not as kind and <laughs> maybe not as forward thinking. And no, I can't help you. It's not going to work because you're not interested in meaningful change to the conditions that are causing depression, anxiety, burnout, whatever it is. I'm teaching a course now on burnout. And that is more popular than any of the programs I've done in the past several years in the corporate sphere because of the need for it. Yeah,
0: let's dig into that a bit. So what is burnout? And I asked that question because I had shared with you before the podcast that I myself, you know, both a mindfulness podcaster and a coach on how to be present. I don't know if I would describe it as a depression, but it was about a period of two weeks where I was really upset, couldn't get the stress of work out of my mind. I would apply the mindfulness techniques, but it was as soon as I, back to the anchor, back to the breath, you know, within a moment, the thought would regenerate. And it would so it was like exhausting. It was just constantly battling. Notice the thought, or back to the anchor, but notice the thought. And every time it came, and then by the end of the day, my strength and my ability to, no, I would let it dwell a bit purely because I was exhausted of just always bringing it back. So how would you define burnout? Is it akin to what I'm describing?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's fascinating because there's so many layers to this. Yeah. First thing I want to, we'll get to a kind of a working definition of burnout. Mm-hmm. One of the things you describe is, is being human. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's an impression that, oh, if I become mindful, I'll just always be calm and happy and everything yeah. is great and it's just butterflies and unicorn rainbows and all that. And that's not life. Stressors happen in life. Yeah. And, and this is uh, around the, the window of tolerance, that model of, are we in our window of tolerance? We're okay. We're in rest and recovery. Or are we overwhelmed? And anyone can get overwhelmed if the conditions are there to create that. Think about small aches and pains. I bump an elbow or I stub a toe just a little bit, or a, you know mm-hmm. a book falls on my finger or something like that. Not a not a big hurt that'll pass, mm-hmm. and there may be an ouch. And compare that to more severe injury, which will have a much higher level of pain. Even if you have been doing practices that help you change your relationship to pain, that sensation, that experience is still there. And when it is something that you have truly deeply personally committed to, as those of us who are passionate about the work that we do are, like you are as well, that shakes us to our core. So getting a little bit outside of our window of tolerance, a little bit through challenged and maybe into overwhelm is not a wrong thing. It is your body, your mind, your heart telling you there's something going on and something to work with here. And you're able to process that a bit. And I think your mindfulness practice helped that we help keep that contained to a couple of weeks instead of maybe a much longer time frame. Yep. So shifting over to burnout, it's fascinating and putting this course together, I was asked by various business units, so I'm doing a, a regular mindfulness course, a six-week course that we do there, and asked, well, we're, we're going to do one more course, what would you like it to be about? And yep. of the things that came in, the one that got the most interest was on burnout. Interesting. Mm. Okay. So yeah. that, that's happening. And we know in the world right now, as of this recording, burnout's a very big thing. In the United States, there is the big resignation. People are leaving jobs all over the place because they can. And, and is
0: burnout attributed is one of the main reasons. Burnout's is one it up of the
1: there? causes. Up there, yeah. yeah. And what we look at in forming this course and putting my, my business analyst hat on at the time was, okay, so with a mindfulness course on burnout, What's the problem we're trying to solve? What's going on here? What do we know about burnout? So I did some research on the research of burnout, and there are a few different ways you can look at it, and a number of different instruments that are used to measure what burnout is. And what I primarily landed on, so the definition I have here and what it includes is based on the work of Christina Maslach, and she created the MBI, the Maslach Burnout Inventory and burnout is not just one thing it can be several different things it's not just there's too much to do and i'm tired and that's one aspect which is the exhaustion aspect the physical yeah yeah the physical yeah. mental emotional exhaustion okay. all right yeah lots of different layers of that there are other instruments that specifically measure that and it breaks them into physical and mental and emotional but there are a couple of other dimensions as well that might be showing up another one of those is efficacy? Am I enthusiastic about my job and there's not too much work, but I'm, I'm not able to be effective in it? And again, that's not a failing of you, the worker. It may be that you don't have the tools. It may be that the tools you're using are constantly changing and there's not adequate training on how to use them. You know, lots of different reasons, lots of different conditions that may be- That,
0: that sounds a little bit akin to that exactly. imposter syndrome a little bit.
1: Yeah, you might feel tools, like new, you're, yeah. I feel like an, an imposter, for those who might not be familiar with what he's talking yeah. about, is the, the idea that I'm an imposter, I'm, I don't really know how to do this, mm. I'm not very good at it, kind of thing, and that's, know, hands
0: up, that's how I felt, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's in the territory of efficacy, and yeah. you may be very effective, and it's a perception that should be challenged, and of course perception is a very big part of mindfulness, we do go into that in, in the programs. Yeah. That's a second dimension of that. Then a third dimension. And in full disclosure on this, because I'm open about, as a human being, I run into this too, I am also burned out in one of these domains. And I'm fine in the others, but one of them, I'm burned out. The third of those is referred to as cynicism or engagement. So think about a context where there's not too much work to do. It's the right amount. You're challenged. It's not too much work for you to do. So there's not the exhaustion component. <laughs> you're very effective at your job, you have the right tools, you know how to use them, or you don't have the right tools, but you're still really good at what you do. And the data shows that yes, this is what you're doing is very effective, but you may not be engaged with your work. You may not be enthusiastic about your work. You may in fact be further on that scale, cynical about the workplace, maybe the people, maybe the work itself, maybe cynical about yourself. That's another dimension of burnout. And so in various groups like Gallup did a survey and several other groups on what are some of the leading causes of burnout and of the top five, and I think a Gallup survey within the past uh, two years, I think just a year ago, as of this recording, all five of those conditions had nothing to do with us failing as people or a weakness of us. It had to do with conditions in the workplace. Mm. And that to me was very interesting so in designing this course it's not about how do we make you as the employee numb to the effects of burnout in your workplace how do we give you the ability to check out and take a mental vacation throughout your day it's not that that's not mindfulness as i teach it it's about turning towards what's here and that can be difficult so we do work on how do you take care of yourself first? And then we go into how do we move the needle on the conditions yeah. that are leading to burnout in the first place. And by the end of the course, not only do people have some grounding in mindfulness practice an introduction to that, but also come away with a personal action plan. Here's how I'm going to work with it. And it's not one action plan for everybody. It's based on your personal experience with it, because I might be burned out in one territory or two or three, but you might have a totally different experience and reason why you're burned out. So part of it is learning about, OK, I am feeling burnout, or anticipate I might be. How can I build my resiliency? How do I move the needle on the conditions with burnout?
0: I think interestingly for me, it's like I have zero passion in the role that I was doing you know, software and IT, it was a means to an end. And I love the people and the culture and et cetera, but it was always about helping others and through mindfulness and through podcasting. So I think a big part of that burnout was like, I'm not passionate about what's going on here and the work that was being asked of me and the time that was being asked of me, it was just... So yeah, so I really appreciate those insights. So which leads to my next question then. So again, back to that since we last spoke kind of a conversation. Uh, in these yeah. past four years. What is mindfulness? How would you describe mindfulness? Now we can you know, textbook, if you were to say like for students, here you go, here's mindfulness or for, you know, you go, <laughs> you're about to go into the corporate world and the leader of HR says, all right, Ted, give me the top five reasons why I should be interested in mindfulness. Right. But I'm asking more now, like on your deathbed or, you know, you're writing a letter to your a relative or to future generations, you know, we send this out into space and, you know, we've got it locked in a box and Ted's talking about the benefits, you know, or what is mindfulness? What would you say? What would you want that legacy to be? Right. And if it's not just to the corporate world or to the education system, or this is for you, what is mindfulness? Right. Because like when I spoke with John Cabot zinn we was talking about how, well, what is quantum mechanics to an expert? Right. (laughs) Now, he may put it in a way which means zero to everyone else that listens to it because there's an element of, well, to really understand what I need to say, you need to have understood this, A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And once you understand it, then you can start to understand where I'm coming from. So what is mindfulness to you in that this is like 100 years time, aliens find this and they look and (laughs) know that you've left for future generations can you just share some insight, having you know all your deep insights?
1: Yeah, and I I'm, and my hope is that the aliens are Vulcans, honestly, because they <laughs> really benefit from this definition. I think the way I think it's a wonderful question, Nikki, because this is a very personal thing, and yet as human beings, there are shared experiences uh, that are in the same territory. It's unique to you, and others also feel things like this. Mm-hmm. So the way I would, as a legacy way of sharing it, is showing up with care. And I I want to dig into that a little bit. The showing up, that's that's an active verb that's starting with an action, with something that you need to take on with intention. Showing up Mm -hmm. is being here right now. It's not show up like once, it's showing up. It's a continual thing that we do. One of the challenges that they see happening a lot. And you've seen some of the conversations that have been occurring on LinkedIn and posts that I have on various researches and things like that, and especially popular journal articles that get things wrong, is that mindfulness continues to be characterized by many as taking a break or as techniques. And the challenge with that is if you have a technique, something in a toolkit that you bring out, oh, I'm going to do my minutes of meditation today and then i'm done being mindful we're missing something there and that is the integration of those mindful presence the showing up with care into the rest of your day and so when there are programs that are you compare a program with a trained teacher to well we had people listening to random meditations so well of course it's not Going to be as effective. And it takes time. This is like exercise. So showing up with care, it's not just bare attention. There's also how you are when you show up. And I mean with care in a few different ways, as in being careful. What is the most appropriate response I can give to this moment? That kind of way of looking at care, but also with care on a personal emotional level, with caringness, with being filled with care for self and others and you'll notice that's not a a list of thou shalt nots it's not prescriptions it is a framework that has flexibility about whatever it is that's coming up so that's how i would define it is showing up with care off the top of my head
0: (laughs) this podcast is sponsored by be present coaching upskilling business professionals with mindfulness tools Check out bepresent.uk for more information on corporate courses and guided mind exercises. Okay, so let me let me double down on that then. So again, in this eternal message you're sharing to you know future generations, you know, moving forward. What are the top benefits of mindfulness?
1: Yeah, so that's so I gave the the what and the how, and now maybe the why. Yeah, so if your
0: grandmother or your children or, you know, insert anything,
1: humankind, right? I mean, I'm still going to go with falcons. that's all right. So so I'm, more, I'm, more, I'm more a Klingon, you know. So, why do we do yeah. this? Yeah, why do we do yeah. this? Or, or okay, we'll go with the Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> so it still applies, well, but, as as but, living but yeah, so, and the
0: reason why before, I'll caveat this by saying that, as I've evolved in my mindfulness journey, it's, oh, stress reduction. But then it opened up into so much more, right? So. Yeah you know, I'll allow you the opportunity to answer, but I mean, I'd be very keen oh, for you if like, again, how we speak to corporate and how we speak to teachers and students, but let's put that all aside. And you've got like three or four things to list down as the benefits of mindfulness to eternalize, immortalize. Give me some insight as to where, where does your
1: mind go when that question is thrown at you? It tends to go deep. And that comes from just my own experience, which is felt and lived every day mm-hmm. after you know 30-some years of uh-huh. practice and many, many years of teaching and and being a trainer intern. and amazing
0: conversations with these amazing experts, yeah. right? That that every time you get the fortunate experience of like, oh, that's another gem, that's another gem. And perhaps sometimes you don't even realize it, but there's just like, you yeah. know, maybe there's these underlying messages that remain true all the way that kind of like solidifies and mm-hmm. maybe after a while you just think it's normal but it's like actually the result of these fantastic opportunities for insight and learning from these from these luminaries.
1: That's the wonderful thing about having done the podcasting and continuing to do that, because I have <laughs> started up again with some recordings, is I feel like these gems, these treasures that you mentioned, mm-hmm. come from others and fantastic mm-hmm. people who've been doing this a long time yep. and have tremendous insights to share. So I'm in the fortunate place of being smog on a horde of gems and jewels and gold that are all right here and it's always all right here yeah but with their insights able to see it i think that's the biggest benefit the first and foremost and this is a bit of a two-edged sword is the biggest benefit is seeing yourself more clearly and when i first started that seeing myself more clearly was was not a pleasant experience Mm -hmm. It was noticing how manipulative, selfish, angry, difficult, problematic, and hurtful to the people around me that I loved. Yeah. And it can also be, oh, and that's not the totality of me. There are also other aspects of who I am and who I can choose to be. Yeah. So the ability to see oneself is with a wider context of not just what the inner critic might be saying but also what our minds may be doing to distract us from seeing things we need to change about ourselves
0: so can i add does that mean you've lived a life not seeing yourself clearly
1: this is kind of where i'm getting (laughs) yes right Because until the point in my 20s it was not in fact i will say willful ignorance about how i was with other people yeah and facing those so for example and for listeners too. Maybe raise your hand if you've ever said something you didn't really mean, or you later regretted. I'm doing that yeah, too. Yeah. Many of us have. I suspect most of us have, if not everyone. And there are moments where, yeah, that that happens. That comes through. What I saw about myself was most of my time, most of how I was, was not encouraging. Was not building people up. It was knocking them down. Coming from my own pain and history of trauma and all the rest of that stuff that had not been. Seen that had also been avoided because the culture at the time and my upbringing was to avoid and suppress, which is the opposite of mindfulness. So without that being able to see what is here right now, without being able to see myself more clearly, it's much much easier. I had a very strong habit of
0: it, exactly. So so let me stop you there. So that means you lived a life not seeing yourself right there and right now. And I think when I phrase it like that, it starts to add a bit more. If you're saying that not being able to see yourself, that means. Well, what have you done your whole life? And I think that's the key thing there. It's like, oh, for the whole life you haven't seen. Now that is important. That is significant. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. when I spoke it, in my last podcast with Vijamala, Vijamala Birch, you know, she yes. yeah. very well known in the mindfulness world, specifically as it relates to chronic pain. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the comments made that through mindfulness is like, she was fortunate enough to get introduced to her mind. Mm-hmm. And then, so I raised the point, does that mean you lived your life not knowing your mind? And I think, you know, when you say that, you know, not being able to see yourself right here, right now, that what does that mean? You've lived your life, not seeing ever seeing yourself right there, right now, or maybe sporadically, but mostly not, mostly not. And So when I get into the benefits, I'm really starting to dig down. It's like, uh, not only are we realizing it now, but it's almost been a crime. It's been criminal that we've lived our life. Not right. And I think that's what I'm going. So, yeah, so please go on
1: yeah that's a beautiful way to put it it is just a a cry in shame that we're not able to see ourselves and and i haven't been taught haven't been taught that right because yeah and not and not specifically taught never never look at yourself not that yeah Uh, my parents are very good about you know you could be anything you want to be you get to choose uh, Mm -hmm. based on their upbringing and, and not having as many choices And then passing on to their children, oh, you do have more options. And also seeing behaviors in just generally in living where Mm -hmm. avoidance is the thing. Uh, Bill Burr has, comedian Bill Burr has a show. I saw him live in Wembley two years ago. No, sorry. At the O2. Sorry, not in Wembley. In the O2. I I, I I love Bill Burr. I love Bill In this cartoon show that he does there's one moment that re- it still stands out to me where f is for family yeah f is for family yeah exactly yep. Yep. one of his yep. kids is upset about something and bill's character says oh no take those feelings and just squish them down crush them <laughs> in, and like that's be thing. a man yeah that's yeah. how we were raised yeah, you yeah. yeah. Down. be a man squish them down exactly and that was a disservice especially to who was very sensitive in dealing with drama stuff that was going on. Yes. So being able to see that an outcome of that is that's one of the, the tap roots of mindfulness is this Mm -hmm. clearer seeing of yourself, not having to be perfect about it. Mm -hmm. Clearer is recognizing, Oh, here's where the choices I've made or the habits that I have, where I am mindless and not intentionally choosing my response, but being reactive leads to, well, suffering, or not so good outcomes. Yep. Here's where, when I'm existing in a state of anxiety, I don't know what to do about it. Where yeah. I am experiencing a depression or a mental loop where my inner critic is just beating the crap out of me, I don't know yeah. what to do about it. Yeah. And with mindfulness, there are learned ways to be with that, to turn towards them, which is against the grain, yeah. absolutely against the grain to turn towards unpleasant or the unwanted. And yet in mindfulness, that's where a tremendous strength comes from in seeing that and doing so in a manner that's not harmful. Yeah. And that's part of the learning with and especially the work of David Trelevin, especially in trauma-sensitive mindfulness mm-hmm. and why teacher training is so important. It's not just here listen to some meditations. Like, wait, what are we trying to accomplish here? Are those the right things is this the right time is the benefit to having some structure around this and support and greater understanding about what we're doing not just checking out with i'm going to go to my happy place and there's nothing wrong with taking a break and taking a step back now and then that's fine you need to do that of course yeah. that's to recharge and that can also become avoidance suppression spiritual bypassing is another word that comes up for it like oh i feel great when i'm meditating and yet those conditions that lead us to maybe not be our best selves might still be present Mm -hmm. mindfulness helps us see that more clearly and gives the option to work with them and maybe move that needle a bit in how we are
0: so what i'd love to to have a debate with you about right (laughs) now and Purely because I know, I know you love the science and, and I I know you're regularly posting articles that that come out on LinkedIn. One expression that I was introduced to early on in my mindfulness days is the idea of this enthusiasm of mindfulness, not keeping up with the science or the science not keeping up with the enthusiasm. <laughs> and then for me, since we last spoke, I've gone the, kind of gone the other way in the idea that science has not caught up to the enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. all right so before i elaborate on that I, i'd love to get your take on that first and then I'll, I'll chime in after that so this idea of enthusiasm versus the science and the kind of some people are like you know all there with the enthusiasm <laughs> some people are all there with the science and w- yeah. where are you and let's have a
1: fun conversation about that Well, it's a, it's a great topic thanks for introducing this as an idea yeah. and something for us to, to unpack is that there there are different ends of the spectrum on this there are different attitudes and poles for some it's yeah. mindfulness is and I'm not great saying there's a right and wrong I'm just purely yeah. just like you know let's just Yeah what we are we seeing what's the territory Yeah 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 in your massive research? yeah 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 for yeah. those who might not be as familiar with it we might see research where oh mindfulness is great for xyz and science has proven something mm. and that's not how science works yeah. science is tentative science is predictive science changes as we learn more and that's one of the great things about the scientific method is it doesn't have ideology, science is just a method for us to learn about the natural world, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And for some, we may see research. There are, I think, currently over 8,000, at least over 7,000 studies around mindfulness. Uh, exponentially Go growing, Amra. yeah. yeah, yeah. It it's just yeah. keeps going up. Yeah. So again, thanks to uh, David Black for yearly posting on goamra.org, the chart that shows the number of studies and it does keep oh, really? going What's that called? Goamra, G-O-A-M-R-A dot org. And if you look at their resources library, mm-hmm. you'll see a big chart. Okay, And it's a bar chart that just- all oh, mindfulness studies, the number yeah. number of studies for basically the past 40 years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And within that, and I always describe this in classes that I teach as there's some really, really good science in there with active control groups. So it's not just a, a null group, a wait list of people who took an intervention, pre and post, and then a control group where they did nothing whatsoever. Being in some sort of interaction, some social group, and doing the work, there's going to be an attitude with that. It comes with, well, I did the work, I should see something out of it. That is part of it. And good science will also have an active control so we can get more closely, as closely as we can get to, what's the active ingredient here? So there's placebo pills, but they still have people taking the sugar pills <laughs> to see their groups that, oh, we don't have them taking any sugar pills at all. We need to see that. So one end of the spectrum is science is is great and it's so strong and it proves all of this. I always, when I see the word prove, a red flag goes up for mm-hmm. me because that's how <laughs> science works. Now the other end of the spectrum is just denial where any opportunity to say mindfulness doesn't work. In fact, it was about a a month or two ago I posted, I never seen as many hits in my Google alerts than this particular uh, article and research that came out around popular journal articles said mindfulness doesn't work in teenagers. And that showed up, I had like five hits a day for like two weeks on this thing. And that's not at all what the research said, Mm. not at all. Yeah, yeah. But the popular articles misrepresented it. And so there was this denialism and then work by the mindful cranks is always in a state of not knowing what we actually do in mindfulness courses, would say, oh, this doesn't work. This is bad stuff. So within that, where might I fit? And it kind of depends on, well, what's the, what's the particular research we're seeing? What's the popular journal article say about it? Is it responsible journalism? That is accurate in what their title is instead of clickbait. I'm seeing a lot of clickbait recently. And I understand that there are selective pressures for journalists, for outlets to do that. and get it, and I still think it's wrong. I think it's ethically yeah, it's like, yeah. incorrect. Where I fit into this is let's be cautiously optimistic because there is good science that is there. That does show some influence of mindfulness on how people are in lots of different kinds of settings. The reason I'm cautiously optimistic is research that may show it's not as effective. Usually what I notice about those studies is they didn't have an actual program. they mm-hmm. just had people randomly listening to meditation. So that's not quite what we do. It's more complicated than that. This is a discipline. And unfortunately, right now, mindfulness is not respected as a discipline. It's just a technique. Oh, you'll learn how to be mindful. I can show you that in five minutes. That's not what us who are responsible yeah, teachers yeah, yeah. do. You know, it's more complicated than that. Or they'll they'll do research and they'll have a, a program that was designed, quotey fingers here, if you're just listening, I'm doing the quotey fingers here, <laughs> designed not by a mindfulness teacher. So there are some pretty obvious gaps or misses that were part of that. Yes. So as an example, and this is many years ago, I didn't, and actually I interviewed the researcher on this. I'm very grateful to them for coming on the podcast about it. There was a paper that said, you know, mindfulness doesn't work. And they had posted in their research, here's what we did as the the intervention on the one side, but not on the Mm -hmm. other, what was your control? And so I reached out to them and, Mm -hmm. and what I found and they did share some of this in the their limitations of the study they really missed the boat is they had people listening to a variety of mindfulness recordings for their intervention group so every day people in this intervention group this mindfulness group would get a different meditation and yeah. we don't do that because that's yeah. confusing that's like saying we're going to train for a marathon. Today, we're doing calisthenics. Tomorrow, we're going to lift weights. And then the next day, we're going to lift weights, different weights. We're going to do the legs instead of the quads. And then we're going to do this other stuff. And eventually, maybe we'll do a little bit of running. Yeah. You're not going to have a very good marathon. And their control group, which had better responses, they just got one, what they called sham meditation, which they didn't include in the paper. I said, Can you send me that sham meditation? They sent me that sham meditation was actually an awareness of breath meditation. So their control group got. Not a sham, an actual meditation, and it was the same one. So the people who were were using that got to be familiar with it, Mm. became comfortable with that and got to actually go a little deeper with the exercise than people who were constantly having their brains rattled around doing different things. So of course that was a predictable outcome Mm. if they'd had a mindfulness person take a look at the structure of their study, but they didn't. Yeah. And we see that happening all the time where groups well-intentioned well, what's this look like? Or they'll do meta-analysis and not do actual research themselves on different... So they'll look at other people's work, but that often does not include, were the teachers well-trained or were they people who are not mindfulness teachers who are given scripts? That doesn't have the same effect as having someone who can be there and know what they're actually doing. If you're reading someone else's words, you are not authentically connecting with that, and people pick up on that, and then they can't authentically connect with it. Yeah. So, so it was also just a shout out to Nicholas Van Dam and all the other co authors on the Mind the Hype article, mm-hmm. which I was very fortunate to be part of and contribute a little bit to. That really shared here's mm-hmm. some of the things we know about mindfulness, here's some of the things that we don't, here's some good indications.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Yeah, more research is needed, not because we didn't find anything, but because we need to understand more what we are finding and raise the bar on our our research protocols.
0: Whilst we're on this topic, where can our listeners and viewers go to find the paper that you just mentioned, this article, and find out more about you? You Let's take this
1: opportunity to kind of share Uh, some information. So if you want to find me, actually, I'd I'd recommend if you're looking for up-to-date stuff, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's a good spot because I'm regularly posting on that. Uh, hardly a week goes by. They're not putting something out there and involved in a conversation. So LinkedIn is a good place to find me for the podcast. So Ted
0: not I- on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. And I- I'll include links to this yeah, to website. Yeah, Do you use Instagram, Twitter, anything? Or like, is it no, mainly- I
1: have a Twitter guy. I haven't been using that stuff much. I'm really limiting to to the podcast a little bit. And that's present. Your website. Which is right present moment is where people will find the podcast episodes, and that's on and LinkedIn. What do we search for? Yeah, LinkedIn, and those are the two main things. That's, that's Ted Meisner and spell Meisner for listeners, Ted Meisner, M E I yeah. S S N E R. Yep. Uh, and for that Mind the Hype article, if you go to present moment mindfulness.com, just Do a search on Mind of the Hype. I think I have the article linked there, or you can just do a Google search on Mind of the Hype Mindfulness. Link in the bio. You will see that, and it is available, and you should be able to take a look at that. Yeah. So just a couple of ending
0: questions then. you know, How would you rate your happiness out of 10 Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day, you would say? Well, generally speaking, pretty good. Give me a number. Give me a number out of 10. Of of 1 to 10? Yeah, in the last month, but on average, if you were to if you were to, you know Well this month the... is
1: rather rather unique because one of our, our beloved pets is not doing well and mm-hmm. we're having to say goodbye. So this past month not as not, as not well. a good representation. Okay, not well, a good representation. Generally so, so, speaking, probably so give, me, yeah, give me general. Eight. Yeah. Yeah. Generally speaking, probably around an eight. Yeah. And bear in mind that's with being completely burned out in one of those mm. dimensions myself yeah. and work as it is for you is very important to me mm-hmm. because it's it's helping people it is yeah, the best yeah. work that i can do and i'm very fortunate to be doing that so it's personally it impacts how i'm feeling to be burned out in one of those dimensions and working on that working on the conditions to change those things that are leading to burnout in the first place but generally speaking around an, an innate yeah. in prior to mindfulness no, <laughs> not that high. At, at most, I would peak at around sixes because I didn't know how to work with the, the distress that was already in my life. The and suffering. was causing yeah. and, and perpetuating ongoing. Yeah.
0: So one final question for you, Ted. Um, well, I asked it last time when I listened back to your response, so I'll be keen to see <laughs> the, the evolution in this answer. But, you know, what matters most
1: for you? Again, these, the echoes of depth, so the pause is not... Please, no, I, I would love you to reflect. It's one of depth know. of the question, because it is a
0: great question. And again, you know, if someone were to open you know, the, the Klingons or the Vulcans or, <laughs> <laughs> in a hundred years' time, a thousand years' time, a million years' time, and they, you know, what mattered most?
1: And it's, I find it a little odd to give this particular answer as someone who is an introvert and is recharged by solitude Mm -hmm. and likes nothing better than to go solo camping or doing my formal practice Mm -hmm. by myself i'd say the most important thing is connection and again there are many different layers to that word connection for many it may be a nourishing connection with others with nature with in my case yourself or people you love john capitan and saki santorelli both describe mindfulness as a radical act of love. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's, there is no truer statement there. The way I'm characterizing that with great thanks and credit to them is because love has lots of different connotation, lots of different baggage can actually be triggering for many of Mm -hmm. us. Connection is another way to share that Mm-hmm. That may not have the same uh, challenges and some of the speed bumps that love itself might. So, it's say for me. The most important is connection in whatever way is appropriate for you, where you are at this particular moment in your life. Yeah. Well, Ted, thank, thank you. Another epic conversation.
0: You know, hopefully we won't have to wait four years until our, our next interaction. <laughs> but, you know, I'm a massive follower on the podcast, on LinkedIn. And, you know, you've been an inspiration for me. And like I've lacked consistency as well. And everyone says the key for a successful podcast is consistency. So I would, you know, recommend please keep doing what you're doing. Please keep them regular. Um, there are people that love what you do. I'm one of those people and you know, it inspires me. Now, since my redundancy that we spoke of, my aim is one podcast a week, whether it's an amazing guest or me giving a guided meditation or something, but I, I want to keep this. It's regular and you know i'm a big fan and just so thankful for you taking the time to come and have a chat with
1: me today i appreciate thank that thank you so much and i'm so glad to see that your work is getting the attention it deserves and that yeah. you're able to focus on that, that It's so wonderful to hear and good to speak with you again thanks for making it this
0: far and showing your support and love to the podcast A big thanks again to Be Present Coaching for their support. Find out more about their masterclass mindfulness courses and free guided meditations at bepresent.uk. be I'm your host, Guy, and this is the Mindful News Podcast. If you've taken away something from today's episode, please go ahead and share the link with a friend. Until next week.